is Pastor Monty. Good morning. This is Pastor Monty, and uh, you're uh, tuned in to uh, FaceTime. Or <laughs> well, it is FaceTime. Uh, Truth Time with Pastor Monty. And uh, we are going to be continuing our discussion in the Old Testament uh, this morning on uh, the Christ Factor. So we have been going through the book of Genesis uh, in the Old Testament. We're alternating back and forth each week. And uh, in the uh, Old Testament, uh, we are in the book of Genesis. In the New Testament, we're in 1 Thessalonians at this time. So today we're just going to talk a little bit about uh, what's happening uh, in Genesis uh, chapter 4, where we are talking again about... Um, of what has happened after uh, the garden. And so we uh, find ourselves uh, here uh, in chapter 4 where we're talking about the birth of uh, Cain and Abel. And I'll just read quickly for you. It says, And Adam knew Eve, uh, his wife, and she conceived and uh, bore Cain and said, uh, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again uh, bore uh, his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought to the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord, and Abel had also brought uh, the firstlings of his flock and the fat thereof. And the Lord uh, respected uh, what Cain had brought in his offering, but unto Cain and his offering he had no respect and Cain was very upset and uh, and and felt uh, his his countenance fell it said and the Lord said unto Cain uh, why aren't there wrath or why, why are you upset and why is uh, your countenance fallen if you had done well then uh, would it not be accepted and uh, if it's not well Sin lies at the door, and uh, unto thee shall be the desire, and thou shalt rule over him. So, interesting discussion here, because, first of all, you know, one thing I love about when you read the Old Testament is that you have uh, events that take place, and the narrative that takes place in the event uh, covers uh, years. <laughs> and yeah. so, you know... Uh, Cain is born, and subsequently Abel, and there's really no mention of the the uh, time period between uh, when they were born. So we don't know how soon they were born. We do know, however, that you know the human gestation pro process is nine months at least. Right. And, and and then it says as time passed, you know, uh, Cain. Uh, became a tiller of the ground, and Abel was, uh, um, you know, a, or, or uh, the the reverse. Uh, Abel was a uh, tiller of the ground, and Cain uh, tended flocks and what have you. So it doesn't say. So again, you know, you got to think that these guys are uh, that these guys are older. Right. Where'd you Where'd you go? Uh, oh, I'm here. I'm here. I'm reading. I just uh, I'm I'm correcting myself because I just got done reading this and I reversed it. Yeah, so the able the Cain and Abel. Was, yeah, uh, I was I was wondering if you were. Yeah. No. 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 I had a uh, I had a a a, a, a momentary uh, a senior moment. Okay. So. Um, What's interesting here is that, of course, the time between uh, when they were born and when they became old enough to uh, respectively do what they did, um, you know, that's got to be what, about uh, 18 or 19 years? No mention of anything that took place in between. Right. Well, and we don't really know how it was back then, even in terms of, like, how people grew. 
Well, that's true, and and uh, even I have no idea, you know, what happened way back then. Right. You're at least shortly after uh, Moses or Abraham. Yeah, I don't I don't go back that far. Right. So, so, but what we do know is what the narrative is uh, telling us, and what the narrative tells us is that uh, they brought an offering to the Lord. Now, Abel brought his offering, and it was accepted before the Lord, and Cain brought his, and it was not. Now, we don't have a lot of indication as to what specifically for, uh, the offering was supposed to be. We have an inference that it was supposed to be according to what, to, according to what uh, you know, God had wanted, and Abel offered that, and his was acceptable. Mm -hmm. But Cain's was not acceptable unto the Lord, and so when it was not, then his countenance fell, and he was upset because it was not. Right. Aside from that, we don't know the details of why one offering was acceptable and one was not, except that there is this communication that is still going on, even with the children of Adam and Eve, that God still had relationship with them, uh, in some form here, mm -hmm. because he's, he he you know tells Abel that his uh, you know what he had provided uh, in offering was uh, acceptable, and Cain's was not, and then he explained to Cain in a manner of speaking. He basically said, "If you had done what I told you or given what I said, then." Would it not be well with you? Yeah, I think that that's a key factor that people need to remember is that there's an accountability that's taking place. That Cain yes. knew what he was supposed to give. Yes. And you can't, you can't do the – and, you know, people do that today. It's like, uh, it's, it, it, it's like you know, when, when they know they're supposed to do something a particular way – and they do their own nuance, and right. then they, they, they get upset because because it's not the way they wanted it done. It's it's not the way that they were told to do it. Yeah. And I know that you know when, when I used to manage people, and I, I know that as a manager, you probably experienced this too, Josh. But when I used to manage people, I'd run into this all the time. Sure. And you'd be like, you know. what? Why are you upset that I'm not accepting what you did? What you did is not according to the standard that I told you was going to be acceptable. I mean, I, mean, I even have to deal with this uh, in teaching when I deal with students. Yeah. And then you have to go back and you have to say to them, well, okay, so here's the standard, and I told you how to address the standard, and you completely ignored what I said. Why are you upset? Right. Well, we deal with that with our children too, right? I mean, you know, that's, I know I deal with that with Sophia and Joseph and they're good kids, but sometimes they will, well, it's not, but sometimes they'll, you know, they'll be whining about the outcome and I have to remind them, you know, this is the outcome you produced. If you don't like it, change it, you know, don't do it again. Yeah. 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 And, and, uh, you know, of course the thing is, is we have a little more at least I I used to, and I'm sure you do too, but we have a little more tolerance with our children because, after all, they are in the process of learning. Sure. Well, I think that you have a lot of and, tolerance for um, from God in this passage. <laughs> I think you have a lot of tolerance from God in this passage. And this passage is, you know, it's a really interesting passage because it really represents right out the gate of Eden. So right, you know, at the moment that... Um, uh, like just verses away from when man sins and, you know, gets his final um, judgment upon him. Uh, you see how man reacts to his, his sinful state. And this is the very first time where you really see depression. Okay. Yeah. In, in Cain's, in uh, Cain's response to God. Right. Well, it's in, in God talking to, to, um, yeah, in Cain's response to God, right? In verse 5, it says, He did not accept Cain and his gift, and this made Cain 
made Cain very angry and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You'll be accepted if you do what's right. But if you refuse to do what's right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. You must subdue it and be its master. In that exchange right there, right out the gate of Eden, you see the crux of biblical counseling. You know, you see the crux of the idea that there's a revelation that we're supposed to, that we're supposed to be inputting that's uh, from God himself that dictates how we're supposed to, to um, uh, live our lives. And when we don't follow through with that revelation, then God doesn't accept it. And then if we react in such a way where we become dejected, depressed because God's not accepting it, the answer to that is doing what's right, doing what you know is right. Yeah, yeah. And and we're going to find, you know, obviously it's going to take some time before we get close to that. But as you go through the Old Testament you begin to see that this is a consistent pattern with man and that there are instances where even though um, two, two, two come to mind, mm-hmm. Moses was not allowed to go into the promised land because he didn't obey God's command. Right. Rather than speaking to the rock, he struck the rock. He over-obeyed. And because of that, <laughs> that's, if that's a because thing. Of that, the content, right. Huh? It, he over-obeyed, yeah, yeah. if that's a thing. Yeah, yeah, and and, uh, and because of that, he wasn't allowed to go into the promised land. Right. Um, so there was a consequence attached to that. You know, that was his nuance, but God said, no, 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 there's a consequence. Uh, look at David. David considered, you know, God said, this is a man after my own heart, but, you know, David carried on and on and on when the uh, when the child when his illegitimate child with, with Bathsheba was born, and God told him, get up, wash yourself off, and stop it. And it's like he didn't understand the consequence of his action. Yeah. I don't know. I, I have to go back and check that one out. I remember that Yeah, you don't remember that? Uh, I remember it differently. Yeah, yeah. It's after... It's right after the child was born. He was weeping and, you know, mourning and carrying on about the the death of this child uh, that uh, was uh, born in a really uh, bad circumstance. There was adultery. There was murder. And uh, the the child was a product of this. And, uh, and God allowed the child to die. And David was carrying on and trying to intervene. And he was before God and... and Finally, God said, "Stop it, David." Right. Like I said, that's not how I, that's not how I remember that story. But I, I'm going to go back and look at it just to you make go sure. Go back and read it. You'll see. It but my my point is is that you know when when God instructs us. Now now let's take this to the point where it should be for for us as believers. Listen, when God tells us something in His Word, you know I'm I'm the first one to tell you as a as a theologian, as a pastor, I'm the first one to tell you that when we come into the New Testament and we look at the provisions of the New Covenant, that there are uh, lots of gray areas. Yeah, can I, before you get there, can I uh, speak to what I was looking up? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so it's Second Samuel. Let me find a better translation for the audience here. I'm looking at the uh, I'm looking at the NASB, but I'll find one that's more accessible for everybody. Um, where can I find it? For some reason, it's not giving me. Okay, I don't want that version. That's the Bulgarian Bible. Not that I have an issue. Not that I have an issue with the Bulgarians. You know, just not yeah, very yeah, no, not very usable for our audience. <laughs> um, okay. Come on, retranslate this. That's weird. It's sticking to that translation. New. Wow, this is this is bad TV. Why is this doing this? Hold on. You have technical issues. Yeah, the internet is having some hardcore issues right now. But 
Well, okay, here we go. Um, let's see. Here we go. Nathan, David. So this is Second Samuel versus or chapter twelve. And here we go. Verses um, fifteen and on. After Nathan returned to his home, the Lord sent a deadly illness to the child of David and Uriah's wife. David begged God to spare the child. He went without food and lay all night on the bare ground. The elders of his household pleaded with him to get up and eat with them, but he refused. Then on the seventh day, the child died. David's advisors were afraid to tell him. He wouldn't listen to reason while the child was ill, they said. What drastic thing will he do when we tell him the child is dead? When David saw them whispering, he realized what had happened. Is the child dead, he asked. Yes, they replied. He is dead. Then David got up from the ground, washed himself, put on lotions, changed his clothes, went to the tabernacle, and worshipped the Lord. After that, he returned to the palace and was served food and ate. His advisors were amazed. We don't understand you, they told him. While the child was still living, you wept and refused to eat. But now that the child is dead, you have stopped your mourning and are eating again. David replied, I have fasted and wept while the child was alive, for I said, perhaps the Lord would be gracious to me and let the child live. But why should I fast when he's dead? Can I bring him back again? I'll go to him one day, but he can't return to me. So... Uh, the point I'm making there is that's that's, that's fine. My my point is well, that's that was that was the point I was making was I didn't I didn't recollect it that way because what you had said was that God told David to stop, but in reality, what happened was David understood that God had made a decision because the child died, and then once the child died, he realized, hey, I can't mess with this anymore, so I'm good with whatever God decides. So much so that his advisors were like, what? So it wasn't that God told him to stop. It wasn't that David had the wrong attitude. There's lots of things that David does that are bad um, in Scripture. But this is actually a good example of him being a man after God's own heart. Um, and, and that's fine. That's a fine clarification, Josh. I, my, my point being that when, when, when we know that God has said a certain thing, we need to understand the consequence tied behind it. And good for David, although I have issues with him in some ways, this is uh, one thing that I guess he did understand. Yeah, he well, I think it's a really good, um, actually, it's a really great juxtaposition for Cain and Abel versus David, right? David, so Cain, uh, Cain didn't get it, right? God basically said, this is the consequences of your actions. Stop doing what's wrong. Do what's right repent of your behavior, you know, confess and repent. And Cain's response was to literally take it out on his brother and kill him. That was Cain's response. David, he was confronted by Nathan and he says, you know what? Absolutely true. And then he takes what he takes the consequences of that. He pleads before God. So it's not like he takes the consequences and is stoic. You know, it's not like he's like, yep, I did wrong. So whatever comes, comes. No, he says, I did wrong. Whatever comes, comes. And then he pleads before God that God would spare that. But once God delivers the final decision for that child to die, he turns around, praises God and comforts his wife. And I think that is the juxtaposition, right? Between Cain and Abel and David of who we're supposed to be versus who we're not supposed to be. Do we, when we're confronted with our sin, um, which is a measurable standard, okay? Cain knew that he was sinning. So um, when we're confronted with our sin, do we turn away and take it out, explode onto man and to God? Or do we, you know, have God take it away from us and do what's right with it and change our behavior to conform to who God wants us to be? And out of that, they, they got Solomon, and that really becomes the issue that we as believers have to face because as I was saying in, in transition, you know, there's, there's lots of places uh, as we as believers live to glorify Christ that uh, amount to gray areas. Right. There are some very specific areas like, you know, Scripture is very clear on certain types of actions. Uh, big in God's box is sexual immorality, but there's also stuff like lying and stealing and uh, and gossip and those types of things which are really 
a, a part of many people's, sad to say, many believers' daily lives. Right. And, and it always amazes me why uh, people then get angry or frustrated, uh, supposedly, with the Lord uh, because of their own disobedience. Right. Yeah, I think, I think people don't understand that a lot of the way they behave is actually comes with a accusation, you know, it's an accusation against God. And if you're, if, if you'll remember when we go back to Genesis, people, people don't understand, but that's literally what, um, Adam and Eve did. Yeah, that's what Adam, well, yeah, exactly. Adam and Eve both, right? They both, um, Sorry, I'm trying to turn off notifications. For some reason, they should be off, but they aren't. Um, but, uh, oh, weird. My live video got interrupted. Are you there? I'm here. Okay, you're here. Is it? No? I can still see you. I can still hear you. Right. We're, we got, we got disconnected in the feed. Okay, it seems like we're, we're back. Okay, we're back. Sorry, guys. I, I don't know. The internet's having a really hard time today. Not only did we, not only were we not able to simulcast onto YouTube and Insta or, and uh, Facebook at the same time, but uh, yeah, we just got interrupted. And it's strange because we're Ethernet connected, so it's not like we're Wi-Fi. Um, yeah, we're having all sorts of issues here. So bear with us. Um, <clears throat> sorry. But what was I saying? So, yeah, Adam and Eve, they, Adam were, and Eve. they were bearing accusations towards God. And that's, that's yeah. literally the moment where God decides, okay, or at least maybe not decides, but implements his, okay, then I guess we're going to go with this way of doing things. Because God, he walks with them in the Garden of Eden. He says, where are you, Adam? Like, he doesn't know. Of course he knows where Adam is. And he knows that Adam sinned, too. But he tries to have an interaction with Adam, and Adam's response is to turn around and blame God. I am this way because of the woman that you gave me. That's an accusation yep. against God. And yep. this is the crux of how human beings communicate with their creator that causes the issue, is when we blame God instead of us. And if you check out our Nightlight program, shameless plug, on um, Thursday nights, so this Thursday, um, actually this Thursday we're going to be dealing with a anonymous, uh, anonymous, um, subject. We had a person, um, give us uh, a subject they wanted us to talk about anonymously. Uh, it's about masturbation of all things. So, okay. um, but anyway, so, uh, one of the things you'll hear us repeat over and over, I find myself saying a lot is don't you realize that you're accusing God? Like, all the time, people lie against God. They lie about themselves, they lie about others, and they lie to God. And that's, we see that right out the gate. Yeah, absolutely. And then, and so, and, and because of that, there's a triple down effect. So it, yeah. it doesn't affect just one part of our life, but it becomes a pattern that we emulate with our employers, that we emulate with our, our spouses, that we emulate with our children. And it's very deceptive because it's, it's also very destructive because then people don't want to come back to the root of the problem, which is their own um, uh, inability, to, their, their inability to receive instruction and to carry out instruction and to be responsible for the consequences or the results of that. Right. Well, because they don't want to admit that they need something outside themselves. Yeah, absolutely. They don't want to receive yeah, instruction because that would show how weak they are. That permeates our society today. Yeah, our society's built on it. Yeah. So this is a this is a really big issue, and and um, and I will will uh, next when we talk about uh, still what's going on between Cain and Abel and and Josh alluded to it uh, when we get together in two weeks on this subject, uh, we will continue our discussion of Cain's action and the consequence that came about. Uh, but for today, this is a good place for us to go ahead and, uh, and close uh, this portion.
Okay. And we're gonna we're going to uh, go into something uh, a little bit lighter, I think. Uh, I always try to find interesting things on what's up with that. So where to begin, where to begin? Well, here's uh, um, here's a good place to begin. Now, I'm not sure whether this came out according to the article. I'm not sure whether this came out of uh, Stanford University or it's a, a group of Princeton researchers that were working with Stanford because the article kind of confuses one of the two. But, you know, uh, modern technology, one of the the beautiful things we have a lot of things that come about because of modern technology sure and we live in an amazing time i mean if you just stop and think a second about all the different things that are going on i mean we're just surrounded by it and uh, it's pretty amazing but, well the fact but, that we're doing this show like remotely you yeah, know, yeah the fact yeah, that you're yeah. not you're not even in studio and we're running this show off a of PC and a couple iPads, you know. Yeah, it's it's amazing. It's amazing. I was watching uh, one of my podcasts this morning, and he was uh, uh, looking at some artifacts in regard to the Oregon Trail, and he was talking. He was, you know, so he's looking at a covered wagon, and yeah. he was commenting, you know, that that was the RV <laughs> of their day. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> So, well, you know, so, and, and the thing about, here's, here's the thing, uh, and I won't go too far in the weeds with this, but here's the thing about, um, about the free market system and capitalism um, in, in, in contrast to socialism. Okay. The, the, the root of capitalism is creativity. And people are encouraged to create because there's benefit from their creation whereas in socialism your creation is just discouraged okay so so um i mean i don't know if i'd agree with, with that but the, that's definitely they're well, definitely there lead, leading economics professors agree with my assessment yeah but there's a moral element a spiritual element involved there the root oh, definitely. the yeah, root we're, is we're greed the, yeah I, I agree josh and we're just we're just touching on the secular. Nonetheless, All right. uh, a new invention's out there. Okay. It's a toilet that paper is, something, uh, right? Well, it's not toilet paper. Okay. Not Face toilet masks? paper, but it is related. Okay. It is related. There's a team of researchers at Stanford, I guess, university that are from Princeton University, whatever, that have, uh, have developed a smart toilet. Okay, what does it do? It warms the seat, lights it. Uh, what does it do? Oh no, no, no! It's it's more ba- it's it's uh, it's it's a medical device. Oh, I like it. And first, first wait, does of it all, does it test your stool? Yes, it does. Yes, I love it. It it tests your urine and your feces to make sure that there's uh, no disease which is present, and that's great. It can identify who you are. By your anus print. Interesting. <laughs> so what you're saying is it scans your butt. Yeah, every time that – and your privates. Every time that somebody sits down on this thing, <laughs> it, can tell the, it can tell the difference between – it can tell who you are based upon uh, the information that's there. I love it. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that makes me wonder, does the, does, is the sphincter of an individual different to producer Jasmine's giving me this look like, are you really going here? Yes. Yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> is the sphincter of an individual unique to them in much the same way that the earlobe or the fingerprint is? I mean, why not? Right? Yes. That's what, that's what they're asserting. Yeah. Okay. Then they're, they're asserting. No. And well, yes, they are. And <laughs> and uh, and so you know this this might become this might become a diagnostic tool of the future where you could have this information transmitted then to your doctor's Come office. Come on, that's great. That's a Shark Tank product if I ever if I ever saw one. 
and he could, you know, he could, he could be able to read. Yeah. And ascertain. Yeah, ascertain. Yes, although where you are at. that it's misspelled, <laughs> but yes. Um, no, that's great. I mean, have you ever had to go to the to the hospital for you know to deliver a urine sample? Come on, what a waste of time. But just pee into your toilet. I love the idea. Kudos. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not at my soundboard, okay, but so... I'd give it applause. <laughs> All right. So there's there's an interesting one. How about this? Uh, you know when you move into a new house, and uh, you know new houses can be kind of interesting. You, uh, a lot of times people will leave things, or you start uh, discovering you know things about the house. An underground and, Indian uh, burial site. People, well, I know people that have found uh, <laughs> valuable artifacts, like left in a, a in an attic or something like that. Yeah, like uh, insidious. Never mind. Keep going. Yeah. This couple in in Wisconsin okay. uh, bought a house and they and they started remodeling it, and uh, this house had a bedroom that was turned into an office. Okay, and so they didn't think much about it. It was covered up with carpet and what have you, and so they decided to remodel it. And so they were tearing out the carpet, and when they tore out the carpet and began looking at the subfloor, they discovered that actually what was underneath the subfloor was a hot tub a hot tub underneath the subfloor yeah they tub out they they tore out the subfloor and what was underneath the subfloor was a hot tub interesting and the whole room then was actually at one time a hot tub that this woman had custom made the the owner before them, an elderly lady that sold the house, had custom made this hot tub with all kinds of beautiful ceramic tile, deep hot tub. And then when she got tired of it and too old to use it, she just covered it up and made it into an office. Interesting. You know, that reminds me and so they're in the Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh it reminds me of a really disturbing Agatha Christie movie. I can't remember what it was, but they basically had like the husband or something was an architect and they had a hidden pool underneath their living room. And these people, they'd come to the house and, you know, they disappear and nobody would know. And then at the end of the movie, like they find out that, you know, they've been killing people and leaving them in their swimming pool underneath. And I think the guy I was young. OK, uh, when I when I watched this, because, you know. I don't know, <laughs> but uh I think the guy finally figures it out and then they kill him and put him in the swimming pool and it ends with the camera like ominously moving away from the house. Anyway, that's what that reminds me of. I'll have to look that up. Wow. Well, what they did is, of, of course, they they uh, finished their remodel, but it's no longer an office. It's now this beautiful – and they, they've uh, been working with contractor to get it all cleaned up and cleaned out and running and uh, – and it's operating now, and uh, now they have a hot tub in their house, this big, beautiful hot tub uh, that uh, they can use. Pretty neat. Yeah, it's weird. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And uh, and you know what? It didn't cost them any more um, in regard to the value of the house because nobody knew it was there. Would it have valued the house higher? Uh, oh, yeah, Definitely. I mean, can you imagine a real estate agent would uh, easily uh, buck up the price by ten grand or so just because of uh, the where it was put and how beautiful it was? Yeah. Cool. Okay, so that that's interesting. That's a good what's up with that. Um, oh, you know this this uh, this uh, Corvette virus has really got uh, is difficult for a lot of people. COVID, now, I'm yes. not going to post it to YouTube, but I'm going to go out later and take a, uh, you know, take a uh, a um, a video of my backyard park, where, you know, your mother and I can just enjoy social distancing, and and the beauty of God's handiwork. Sure, it's amazing. But a lot of people are stuck in houses. 
is stuck in you know walls where they just can't get out and do anything uh, nice. So this postal worker in the UK wanted to, well, you know, help spread the joy. So he decided to dress up and deliver his mail as various characters. Okay. So he delivered his mail one day as a, a Roman centurion. Okay. And that and people were really starting to like it. So he dressed up another day as little Bo Peep. Okay. And delivered his mail as little Bo Peep. So he's got a number of characters and people are starting to say that you know that it's it's uh, making their day. Right. As he delivers the mail. And so now is um is uh, the UK deciding to lift dress codes on their male people and have them wear costumes? Well, you know, there wasn't a lot about what his bosses thought. I, I guess because it received such a uh, enduring public response that they, uh, they'd allowed that. Hmm. And I don't know what their dress code here is, and I would say that it would depend upon the mail route. Like my mail carrier, he sits in a truck. <laughs> and he throws mail at you like a frisbee. Not quite that bad, but but uh, you know, he'll come up and deliver packages. But for most of his mail route, he's in a truck. But there are a lot of places where the the area is so dense with population that uh, they don't use trucks; they just walk a route. Right. So that obviously. That's that's what he's got. He's got a, walk, a route that is walkable. Right, right. Yeah, so, you know, that's good for him. Good deal. Let's, uh, let's end this section on this note. Uh, you know, so you would, you, one of the things that people have difficulty with in our society today is that they lack common sense. And if you're a 911 operator, you see this a lot, where people call 911 for the stupidest things. And new in Newport, Oregon, the local police in Newport, Oregon, have had to put on their Facebook page a plea with people, do not call 911 because you're out of toilet paper. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> uh, leave it to it's Oregon. Not an emergency, <laughs> and then so then the the it's well written. The article goes on to talk about you know, goes on to talk about uh, throughout history, and you know we're a seafaring town, so throughout history, um, this has been a problem. So people have used rope soaked in vinegar. They've used leaves. They've used magazines. They've used all kinds of things. So they give this long uh, two paragraphs or so worth of suggestions, but they end their plea in their Facebook article with, these, all these things are available. Calling 911 is not appropriate and not available. It's sad. It's sad. It's a, that's really a what's up with that. You don't have the common sense to know that you do not bother pol the the police with that type of nonsense. Well, and what's really sad about it is that uh, CNN, USA Today, the New York Post, like all these major places are covering it. Congratulations, Oregon. Not only are you the place where we rioted in the streets because, you know, of President Trump. But now we're also the place that can't handle toilet paper being gone. It's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's <laughs> okay. So uh, just you know, keep in mind. You got people, my my faithful viewers. You got a lot of stuff laying around the house that you can wipe your butt with. Don't call the police and tell them that you're out of toilet paper. <laughs> yeah. <okay. laughs> All right, moving on. Under, uh, well, we're calling it uh, 
cultural, um, not, let's see, I get it mixed up, um, mixed up with my counterpart. Um, lunacy. You know, yes, thank you, lunacy. Yeah, I was having a, a moment there trying to come up with the word. Uh, cultural lunacy, and we've been talking about the, uh, what's happened, what, what happens between, um, Husband and wives, because they're made uh, differently. Right. We've already and we've already established that their brains work differently, and so like men are more um, uh, task oriented, and women are uh, more of like say the general on the battlefield, where they can like see a bunch of different things, and men are more or women are more relational and communication based, and so on and so forth, and men are more uh, physically oriented and things like that. Right, and so you can imagine that. And that's all if secular. These... That's all secular knowledge, by the way. I just want to be clear. That's a, that's not even like biblical. Well, yeah, it's like in science. In the secular world, for example, if you want to read more about, you'd read like you know, men are from Mars and women are from Venus. It's a I little mean, bit it's old. Pretty but yeah. well established. Yeah, it's pretty well established that that's true. Yeah, in the words of Thomas Dolby, um, science. There you go. <laughs> uh, yeah. Actually, Scripture was the first one to point these things out. And yeah. Scripture also has a, uh, a uh, methodology whereby it's possible for, for those who are in this circumstance to actually live together without killing each other. That's a really good way of presenting it. Yeah. And so what yep. we're talking about is the submission structure, right? That is correct. And I would just have to say that this is applicable to the day in which we live today because there are many couples. Listen, there are two, there are two things which are kind of spiking during this uh, coronavirus issue. Right. Uh, one of them is that uh, there's a higher instance of, Divorce filings. Funny, not funny. And the other is that there's a, a slight increase in uh, pregnancies. That's funny. That's just funny. Yeah, there's actually a lot yeah. of there's actually a lot of statistics that um, have increased in really sad ways, like uh, domestic violence and domestic abuse, uh, as well as um, like suicide rates. Um, people having issue with um, like calling suicide hotlines and things like that. There's a lot of things going on, but yeah, one of the things we've been talking about as, as a church um, the internal leadership structure of the church is, is talking about how families have largely outsourced the responsibility to be families, um, at least biblical families outside yes. um, of the home and now they're being um, put into essentially a powder keg of interaction because they don't know how to navigate the dynamicness of the relationship. And so we've been talking about how to um, help with that um, in the, you know, in, in our church families. But anyway, you're continue. No, you're absolutely correct. And of course, one of the things uh, when uh, I know that you do this as well, but one of the things that I cover when we talk about then um, in premarital counseling, for example, uh, a major aspect of uh, what we spend, uh, I don't know, probably six hours or more uh, just on the subject of communication, because uh, communication then becomes a key to understanding how it is that that you take both of these individuals, which uh, has such a, a difference in dynamic of how they view life. How do you put those two together in such a way that there will be harmony rather than chaos? Yeah. Yeah. Well, God's word has a remedy for that. Yep. And it's been, it's been largely uh, attacked uh, most recently uh, out of the uh, 60s, uh, well, late 50s, 60s, into the 70s, uh, via the uh, the women's movement, um, which have gone through great aims in trying to um, uh, put women in in a position where um, where they're they're against patriarchal 
situations that they believe that women are uh, equal to or superior to men, you know, an Amazonian type of view. There's all kinds of things that are there that have come, become a part of our society. And so if you're a man today uh, and you um, watch some of the commercials and the different things that are going on, you are always constantly being beaten down. Well, specifically if you're specifically if you're a white male Christian. But oh, yes. absolutely, yeah, yeah, no, that that's exactly correct, and and so you know, um, yeah, there has been there there your yeah there has been quite a changeover. We had the opportunity um, on Disney Plus. Uh, um, we had the opportunity this weekend to watch Swiss Family Robinson. Oh yeah, and uh, in Swiss Family Robinson, it's you know it's a story of three guys and a mother who you know get shipwrecked. It's a it's a early eighteen hundreds story, I think. Um, yeah, but, but classic, anyway, yeah, yeah, they they get shipwrecked, and you know you're watching these guys, and they get on that island, and man, they just go to town. They're building all of these things, you know, and and uh, capturing animals and like tending the land and all this stuff. And the mother um, essentially doesn't do much and has to do nothing. You fast forward to the 1990s where you've got, you know, Al Bundy, um, a shoe salesman who is dumb and, uh, you know, just dumb and hypersexual. Um, He's like the father of the year in in um, in the 1990s television uh, you've got Homer Simpson who comes onto the scene and he can't hold his temper and he is dumb. Uh, you know, fast forward to the 2000s and you have, you know, Ray who's being beaten, Ray Romano from uh, uh, Everybody Loves Raymond who's being beaten down all the time and who is perceived as not quite intelligent, not as intelligent as his wife. You have uh, Doug from um, that one show, uh, King of Queens. Same thing, not as intelligent as his wife, uh, you know, like there's the men and women have definitely flopped um, or flip flop places in terms of what um, how society perceives what it means to be a man versus what it means to be a woman. And the Bible, right. the Bible has its own idea of it. Right. And so and so when we go back to Scripture. And that's a, a wonderful uh, foundation, Josh, for just a, a sampling of the litany of programming which is out there constantly beating down uh, men in the uh, and, and, and doing harm to the family structure. And then, of course, you have issues where you have the family unit trying to be redefined. We talked about that right. last week a little right. bit. So and, and a I lot think, of going on here. And and I think that it's somewhat justified to attack the machismo idea of what men are, and it's justified to attack the relegated idea of what women are. Um but what has happened is such a far a swing of the pendulum that men have no identity before God, not not what they were defined to be like, let's be clear. Like the mother in Swiss family Robinson forever, for instance, she was capable to be doing awesome things also, but you know, she wasn't because she was relegated. And there's, there's a reason that that's not, that's not okay either. I just want to be clear. So it's not to say that women and men, it's not to say that men, that it should go back, that it should turn into this sort of, um, draconian archaic concept you know man strong women weak sort of thing that's not what's being said at all well no not at all but but we have in our culture even within this last year in the me too movement you know we have these icons of society which were building a a uh, an aspect of society like uh, weinstein for example sure and yet he was he was called out because of uh, exemplifying that, uh, the, I would say the the very uh, bad side of the industry that took advantage of women 
and and held women in a particular way, and uh, the behavior was uh, atrocious. And and I, I'm agreeable with that. What yeah. we are going to be discussing is the biblical model for how to deal with the differences that exist between men and women. Right. And so let's start off with that, and then we'll pick it up next week. But let's start off with that and talk about uh, God's way to deal with that then is to build in a mechanism for how it is that men and women are to uh, collaborate together to be inside of a, a family unit, which, by the way, is the basis for society. Right. It's the foundation so the, on which society is built. The family unit is at the heart of being able to build a stable society. And when the family unit breaks down, then society suffers become of it uh, because of that. Right. Yeah. God's way of dealing with this is through a process that we call submission. Now, right up top, um, we've only got about five or six more minutes. So, so right up top, uh, let's just, uh, Josh and I want to, to discuss just a little bit the fact that the biblical concept of submission is not even close to the worldly understanding of submission. And right. In, in, the, in the biblical context of submission, there is an interaction that takes place, a loving interaction within a structure that God provides. But when you, talk, when you say submission to a woman today uh, who is uh, not familiar with what Scripture actually has to say, uh, you get ready for a barrage of uh, disapproval and even attack because uh, the, it's it's really taken on a a a bad uh, connotation in society today. The word, yeah, well, because it's been confused with the concept of subjugation, which is very different than submission. Yes. yes. Yeah, I th- and we're not. Go ahead, Josh. No, expand, please. Oh, well, I, I just – I think it's really important to – whatever verbiage you want to use, it's really, really important to adopt a proper understanding of what it means to to submit. And I'm sure Pastor Monty is going to go deep into it you know, at some point here, but um, it's modeled off the internal submission structure within the Trinity. So it's it's a part of who God is and therefore it's a part of who we are. It's, it's how we have order. Everything in our life submits to something else. The thing is, is that though the submission structure is there, so there's a motion, there's a motion by which things get accomplished according to God, and he wants them to function that way. It has nothing to do with our value. And I think that's a, a large part of the difference between subjugation and submission is that when you subjugate something, your value is either based on something innate where a person is less than you and so you subjugate them um, or it's based upon um, like wanting to be more than the other person. In this case, nobody wants to be more than the other person and nobody thinks they're better than the other person. What they're trying to do is function the best possible way uh, given who they're made to be before God. And as we've talked about, God made men and women physiologically with very different ways of behaving um, innate to them. This is not to say that a woman can't step into a man's role. Like, for instance, if there's no father in the home or if there's no uh, like – if there's no pastor in the church or something like that, you know, or, uh, I don't know. There's a bunch of different things. There's no authority in the town and, you know, all that's left is uh, there's lots of precedences in scripture where we see women stepping into uh, man's role. But when we say man's role, it's not because man is better than woman. It's because God has defined that this job belongs to a man because it's better suited toward man specifically uh, for how he was made. And in some cases, I think not just for how he was made, but for what responsibility he carries in the transmission of sin. Um, like a man, like I believe that a large reason why men have to be the specific, um, uh, 
like leaders of the household in a lot of specific ways, according to God, is because man has a responsibility to undo what he did to creation and to women. It's like a paying penance. So anyway. Yeah. So, so what, what is at the heart? So we'll end our discussion for today with this thought, but what is, is at the heart of understanding God's design for submission is this concept of God's uh, of, of God's concept of love, and we see the concept of love demonstrated in in uh, in Jesus Christ, and uh, particularly in his actions with his disciples as right. he uh, as he sought to teach them and guide them, leading up to his crucifixion and resurrection. Right, but at the very concept of God's understanding of love is this idea of being able to, to, uh, to be in submission to one another in a desire to bring, to, 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 to have the very best of the object of our love uh, come out. And so at the, at the, uh, at the heart of the understanding of the biblical understanding of submission is the understanding that we love one another with agape type of love so that our desire is not a selfish desire, which is where the world is coming from. Right. To be better than others. How yeah. they demonstrate uh, love and, and then the extent of that into life. But the biblical understanding is that, we are to love one another in such a way that we are lifting up and we want uh, uh, those who are, our love is directed towards to grow and mature and be the best that God has called them to be. That's the underlying foundation then for God's methodology, which is this concept of submission. And uh, when we get together next week, we're going to delve more deeply into the practical outworkings of what that looks like. Right. Yeah. And that, that brings us up to a good stopping place uh, for uh, our time today. And so I hope that you've uh, enjoyed our discussion. And Josh, why don't you go ahead and close us out? Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you're someone who's seeking answers or you want to know more about your faith, if you're new to Jesus Christ in the Bible, we want to help you. You can check out the help tab at abfpdx.org. And remember, we're always open to questions. Pastor Monty is ready and waiting to deliver sage advice and insight, so don't be shy. Um, the Truth Time with Pastor Monty podcast is a resource of Aletheia Bible Fellowship of Portland, Oregon. It is a webcast on the Vigilance Radio Network a resource developed by Project Vigilance, which is ABF's web portal that provides helpful and interesting online resources for the church local and at large. If you want to be part of the VRN, the Vigilance Radio Network, and what we're doing here, you can join us on Facebook. We have a Facebook page uh, to get access to all of our shows, including um, Culture Insanity, The Weekly Sermon, um, the ABF Nightlight, uh, there's a few new shows that um, we launched for kids this week or last week. Uh, there's Wake Up Cadre. Uh, there's The Bible with Pastor Adam. There's a lot of content going on right now from the Vigilance Radio Network. So, And then, of course, Truth Time. Um, speaking of those things, on Thursday night, you can check out at 9 o'clock to 11 the next episode of Nightlight. Like we said, at the very least, we're going to be talking about masturbation. So if you want to know a biblical uh, standpoint on that, that's what we've been asked to talk about. So we're going to talk about that and some other things. And then, of course, we have – so that's 9 to 11, and you can call us, uh, text us, message us. Uh, you can you can uh, get to us anonymously. Just find our Facebook page, and you can uh, send us something to talk about. Or you can actually call us on the show, and we'll, we'll talk to you, video chat you, whatever you want to do. Um, and that's the same with all with with uh, with all these commentary shows. Pastor Monty's willing to do that as well as uh, um, 
is that our only commentary shows? Oh yeah, Culture Insanity. So, <laughs> so yeah, uh, feel free to to get in there and talk to us. But yeah, we have that on Thursday night, nine to eleven. Be sure to to tune in then. And then we also have Culture Insanity on uh, Saturday. So feel free to tune into that. If you've enjoyed Truth Time, consider supporting us. Our networking shows are free to you, but they are definitely not free to us. So head over to abfpdx.org, click the donate tab. Even a buck a month would be good to use for the gospel. And if you're poor like us, that's cool too. You can still partner with us by remembering to like, subscribe, and share our podcast. You can always find it on ABF's YouTube page, Instagram, and Facebook, and the VRN Facebook group. So take a second to visit the group page so that you can stay up to date whenever we share these new contents each week. And remember that this content is shared on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. We'll see you then. I'm Pastor Josh, your engineer and senior pastor over at ABF, and this has been Pastor Monty. The views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the Lafayette Bible Fellowship. You are listening to the Vigilance Radio Network.